Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We'll be beginning our reading in verse 22. Before I begin, I want to remind, I just wanted to, I missed an announcement that I should have written down and I didn't say it, but we will not be having prayer meeting tonight. We're going to take a Sunday off this evening. So no prayer meeting tonight. You can pray at home. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we'll pick it up in the coming day, coming weeks. No prayer meeting tonight. But <clears throat> as we enter the new year, we often think of new year as a time uh, when many people, including myself, you take stock of their lives and resolve to make changes for the better by God's grace in the new year. And today we're going to look at this final one of the songs of Jesus that mark Luke's narrative of the birth of Christ. The song before us is Simeon's song, and in Latin, as I've been telling you the, the various names of the Latin songs that we have here, this one's called the Nunc Dimittis in Latin, now I depart, now is what the, those Latin words mean. Now it's the perfect text for us to usher in the new year because it sharpens our focus on the one who is to be the center of our hope, the center of our consolation or comfort. And as we enter 2020, may the Lord give us 2020 spiritual vision to see clearly our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, just as Simeon saw him 2,000 years ago. We pick up God's word in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 where it tells us, When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at, the very er at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee 
to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Well, I want to look at two things from the passage here today. First of all, I want to look at the comfort Simeon sought and the comfort Jesus brought. So first, the comfort Simeon sought, and then we'll look at the comfort that Jesus brought. It tells us here in uh, the text that, Jesus, that Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was a righteous and devout fellow, and uh, he was there in the temple. Uh, Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus to the temple according to the law to dedicate him to the Lord and to give the sacrifices for Mary's purification that were prescribed in the book of Leviticus. I'm sure if you've got a footnote there, you can look that up. I believe it's Leviticus 12, if my memory serves us correctly. But there they are coming to the temple, and uh, this is about 40 days after Jesus was born. And Simeon was there, and he's looking for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation means comfort. If you look, up, look it up in the dictionary, uh, it means to alleviate or lessen grief, sorrow, or disappointment, give solace, comfort in sorrow, uh, comfort in misfortune or trouble, alleviation of distress or discomfort. In the Old Testament, we have, uh, of course, that, that the concept of comfort or consolation is there in uh, some of the famous passages from the prophecies about Jesus and the coming of Christ into the world, coming of the Messiah. Places like Isaiah 40, where it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And of course it's talking about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus Christ. And so Simeon was looking for this to happen. He was expecting it. He was, he was longing for that day. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he wasn't going to die until he laid eyes on the Messiah, the Lord's Christ, as it says here. And that's, a, that's the Greek term for Messiah Christ. And he finds that comfort and peace, it tells us there. Look at verse 29. He sees Jesus. He holds him in his arms and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. That's what gave him comfort and peace, the salvation that the Lord has provided. And what was it? Well, he was looking at it. He was holding it in his arms. It was the Lord's anointed one the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who brings salvation. Simeon says more than that, though. He says that he has 
seen your salvation. I can depart in peace because I have seen your salvation. Well, what was he looking at? He's looking at the infant Jesus. He's not looking at all that Jesus does. He's looking at the person of Jesus. And that's a very important point for us to remember. Jesus doesn't simply tell you how to be saved. He is the salvation. He is the embodiment of salvation. In his body, his self, he provides salvation. We're saved by being united to him by grace through faith. Jesus is salvation. He didn't come to just give you assistance so that you could save yourself. He didn't come to simply inspire you to do better so that you could be good enough to be acceptable to God. No, he came to save you himself. And notice what Simeon is doing, what it says about Simeon, first of all. Simeon was a devout and righteous man, it tells us there. He was a devout, totally devoted to the Lord. And, and it shows he was, he was looking for, longing for the day of the consolation of Israel. That's what he was all about. And he was a righteous man. But that's not what brought him peace or comfort. He didn't look to himself and say, well, I am a devout person. I am a righteous person, so God's got me. God's, God uh, is looking favorably upon me. No, what brought him peace, what brought him comfort was something outside of himself. He found it in Christ. He found it in the promised Messiah. And his hope wasn't in his own devotion or righteousness. Jesus is salvation. My eyes are looking at salvation, Simeon says. He didn't come to help us save ourselves or just to inspire us to do better. Without Christ, you're dead in sins and transgressions, as Paul says to the Ephesians. And Christ comes and he raises the believer from spiritual death to eternal life. So just as Simeon embraced Jesus in his arms and looked to him for salvation, placed his hope in the person of Christ, so we must do the same. We don't look to ourselves. Salvation is outside of us. It's something that Christ has provided. We must embrace Christ by faith and place our faith and hope in him, for he is salvation. That's the comfort of Christmas. That's the comfort that is brought to us by God in Christ. He is salvation. He is the good news. Well, Jesus provides comfort. Simeon was seeking this comfort, and he found it in Christ. And the passage tells us something about how Jesus provides comfort to us. And we see here hinted at in the text is something theologians call the active and passive obedience of Christ. Now, it's a technical term, active and passive obedience, but what we see here is Jesus fulfilling the law for us. You know, you notice the beginning of the passage, the, the word that's repeated more than any other word is law in this, this account. 
We see it in several different verses. The reason that Mary and Joseph and Jesus are in the temple is they are seeking to do what's right, do what the law requires. They're bringing Jesus, verse 22, uh, it's time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, and they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. It goes all the way back to the Exodus when the firstborn were dedicated to the Lord. Every male who opens, who first opens the womb shall be called holy or dedicated or devoted to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice. Just a side note, if you look at what Leviticus says about this sacrifice that had to be made on behalf of the, the mother of a, uh, uh, after she had given birth, uh, there is uh, different levels of sacrifice. There's a, you know, the, the top one is a lamb. But if you, it says there, if you cannot afford the lamb, then you provide a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So it just is a testimony to the, the poverty of Mary and Joseph. They didn't have a whole lot. They couldn't afford a lamb. But they did what the scriptures said in Leviticus. They provided a pair of turtle doves. And then at the end of the passage that I read, verse 39, it says... <clears throat> When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, then they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. So at the very beginning of Jesus' life, he was fulfilling the law. He did everything according to the law, and that carried on throughout his entire life. He did everything, everything in thought, word, and deed that, that God's law required. Everything. Never once did he sin. He was completely without sin in reference to God's law. And it began right at the very beginning. We see it here. When we talk about the active and passive obedience of Christ, we're not talking about uh, just that aspect of it, but let me read what John Murray says about this phrase, the active and passive obedience of Christ. He says the truth of this active and passive passive obedience uh, it emphasizes the two distinct aspects of our Lord's vicarious obedience. Vicarious. He obeyed in our place in his life and in his death. The truth expressed rests upon the recognition that the law of God has both penal sanctions and positive demands. It demands not only the full discharge of its precepts but also the infliction of penalty for all infractions and shortcomings. It is this twofold demand of the law of God which is taken into account when we speak of the active and passive obedience of Christ. Christ, as the vicar of his people, came under the curse and condemnation due to sin, and he also fulfilled the law of God in all its positive requirements. In other words, he took care of the guilt of sin and perfectly fulfilled the demands of righteousness. He perfectly met both the penal and the preceptive requirements of God's law. The passive obedience refers to the former and the active obedience to the latter. So Jesus fulfilled all the precepts of the law and when he died on the cross, he, he took upon himself all the penal aspects of the law that we have broken. He never broke it. He suffered there vicariously. He suffered there on the cross in our place for all the times we broke the law. 
So when we embrace Christ by faith and are united to him, his perfect obedience is credited to us. His sacrifice for sin is credited to us. We, we are not declared righteous based upon our obedience or our payment of the penalty. We're only, we can only be declared righteous before God because of what Christ has done and that we're united to him by faith so that what he has done is credited to us. And that's why it's important. A lot of people focus on that the fact that he paid the penalty for our sins. Our sins are forgiven. That's, yes, that's good news. That's just one part of it. It's like uh, having a, you know, a, a big blackboard or a whiteboard, I guess, would be more uh, in keeping with the times. And if all your sins were written on that board, well, Christ by his death erased those sins. He cleansed you from the sin. But he did more than that. He wrote all of his righteousness up on your board. It's like being in debt. You owe a, a debt of a million dollars. Well, Christ paid your debt. And not only did he pay your debt and get you back to zero, no, he gets you all the way back up to limitless amounts because his righteousness is overflowing. That's what's credited to those who put their trust in Christ. And if you're, if you're just thinking about Christ as the one who died for your sins, and, and that's all you think about, you're going you're gonna to wonder, where is my righteousness? You'll constantly be saying, Lord, forgive me, because you know you sin. And you're never going to be understanding that because of Christ's righteousness, God, can, the Father can look at me and accept me 100% because I am righteous in his sight. Not by my own righteousness, but by Christ's righteousness credited to me by faith. And so you can live knowing that, yes, even though we fail, even though we fall short, in many ways, we are accepted not because of our own deeds, but because of what Christ has done. Not only in cleansing us of those sins that we commit, but by crediting righteousness to us. We get credit for all that Christ did in his life. It's credited to us. When, when Jesus healed a blind man, when Jesus uh, raised... Uh, the widow's son, when Jesus changed the water into wine, when Jesus did all the wonderful things that he did, called Lazarus from the grave, that's credited to our account. When Jesus obedient, obediently went to the cross, that's credited to our accounts if we're trusting in him. We're overflowing with righteousness, Christ's righteousness, not our own righteousness. That shouldn't fill us with pride or fill us with the attitude that, oh, well, we can do what we want to now. We've got a free pass. No, just the opposite. That should humble us and fill us with gratitude for this great salvation that he has provided. And that's what Simeon is celebrating. He's going, here it is in Christ. He's bringing salvation to his people and not just to Israel, but Simeon says it's for all people. Look what he says there in his song. He says, I have seen the salvation, verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And that word peoples there in the Greek refers to nations. It's a, it's the, it's a term that, that delineates a, the largest group of people that you can have in, this, in our 
parlance, that would be a nation, a nation group. So this is for all nations. And then he tells you that, 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So it's not just Jews, but it's Gentiles and Jews. It's everyone. And it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. They too can know the salvation. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Gentiles have, have this salvation has been revealed to them. They too can see Jesus and embrace him. And he's the glory of your people Israel. Romans 9, Paul's discussing the Israelites and he says they have a very special place. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. God used that nation to bring the Messiah to us. And that's a glory to the people of Israel. And Simeon's telling us all about it. And it's a glorious thing. It's a light of revelation. This is the most important thing there is to, to, to take comfort in in the world is that Jesus Christ came to us. One can understand why Simeon is celebrating this little child that he encounters in the temple. And now he can die in peace because he has seen the Christ. He has embraced salvation. And notice what else he says. And this, this speaks to us. How do we respond? Um, final things that he says when he says to Mary... Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, just about that little parenthesis to Mary. Again, that speaks to Christ's sacrifice. Why will Mary have a, a sword that will pierce through her own soul? Can you imagine her experience through the through her experience of Jesus through her life. I mean, she's, she knows him more intimately than anyone. She knows him as a child. She sees how he is perfect. I mean, boy, that'd be nice to have a child who never sins. Wouldn't that be wonderful? She sees this day in, day out. She sees his character shining through. She sees him growing in knowledge and, and, and wisdom and favor with God and man. She sees him as he begins his ministry and how he helps people and changes the water to wine and, and does all the wonderful things that he does. And then she has to see the end. It's not the end, but she has to see him falsely accused. This one whom she knows better than anybody else is completely innocent and completely righteous. And she is there at the cross as they crucify him. Thankfully, that wasn't the end. But I think that's the sword that she feared, that her soul is pierced. She knows this is so unjust that her son is dying on the cross. Not because of his own sins, but for others, unjustly. But <clears throat> Simeon gives us a bit of a warning here. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. 
you have the many passages in the scriptures that talk about Jesus being a, a, a rock of stumbling, a stone of offense. Uh, Matthew 21, the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Paul tells the Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. As we encounter this person of Jesus, it's a crossroads in your life or it's a fork in your road and, and either you oppose him, you don't humble yourself before him and recognize that you need him, that's stumbling over the stone and, and you'll face judgment. As you face him, you're facing God and as you appear before God, it reveals your heart. The Gospel Transformation Bible says to face God is to have our thoughts and hearts opened and revealed. This will result in a fall for any who are proud or opposed to Jesus. But for those like Simeon who see Jesus and respond to him with hope, there is great news. This story invites us to see Jesus rightly and receive him at the level of the heart as Savior and Lord, holding back nothing because God sees and knows all things, even what is in our hearts. Will you humble yourself before him and affirm that you need a Savior, that you cannot save yourself no matter how good you think you are? Or will you oppose him by rejecting the salvation that he brings? He is the only way of salvation. There is no other. There is no alternate route. It is only through Jesus. And that's what Simeon celebrates because he's placed his hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this coming year, may Jesus be the center of our hope, of our comfort. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it is, this good news. Thank you for the provision of salvation. And Lord, may we like Simeon, celebrate it and embrace it and find the joy of it. Lord, we pray that you would give us light, revelation to see this clearly and that it would certainly be our hope and our comfort and our peace. And we pray this in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen.